Hello, and welcome back to the Mindful Belly Don't Eat Your Feelings podcast. I'm your host and health coach, Ellie Rome. So in this episode, I am so excited to share with you an interview I had with my friend, Gabrielle Westbrook. Gabrielle is a certified Enneagram life coach, and she's the founder of the Hope Healers. So Gabrielle's passion is to help women cultivate self-acceptance, is to uncover their most whole and authentic selves and live their lives in deeper connection to themselves and have freedom in their relationships. So I met Gabrielle here in Austin, and she ended up giving a workshop for my 21 Day Resetters, an Enneagram workshop, and it was awesome. I learned so much. I myself did not know much about the Enneagram and realizing just how powerful of a tool it is to be able to start waking up to ourselves, waking up to the core reasons why we're acting in a certain way. And I really wanted to have her on this, this podcast because I know for many of you, who struggle with sugar addiction and binge eating and toxic relationship with food or health issues, that so much of this comes from these uncovered core fears that we hold, core traumas and core desires that we're looking for that we're not achieving in our life because we're, most of us are just unaware that these things are running the show. And so the Enneagram is such a powerful tool to uncover these and to start realizing our autopilot habits. So Really excited for this episode. And if y'all want to connect with Gabrielle, she's on Instagram at Gabrielle Westbrook underscore. And I'm really excited. So as I, you'll hear me in the episode, I don't know my Enneagram type yet. I'm taking quizzes. I've listened to Gabrielle and have some that I've identified with, but I feel like every time I hear her speak or read something, I connect with another one. So um, Gabrielle, I'm going to do a typing session with her after this podcast but I will keep y'all posted on my results if you're interested and let you know how that session goes. And I would love to know your Enneagrams. If y'all know about Enneagrams or you have, if you know what yours are, if you know how they're playing into your behaviors, like please reach out. I'm so interested. I would love to learn more about them and more about how you're experiencing them. And before we begin, just a reminder that the upcoming 21 day reset is in January. It'll be January 11th. So after the holidays, a great chance to connect back with your goals, to really get back into eating the way your body's meant to be fueled. And I will be coaching you through those 21 days to really optimize your nutrition in a way that's going to be sustainable. And then on top of that, as always, we're going to have workshops with speakers like Gabrielle, where you can ask them all of your questions and then daily live fitness classes, daily live meditations. And we've got some guest expert fitness trainers. And then I'll be training you myself with yoga and bar classes. And yeah, it's really fun. You get to connect with an awesome community of people who are resetting together that want to get better. And, and the best feedback I hear is just how supported people feel. And I know that that makes all the difference in the world and you really showing up for yourself. So consider it. The early bird ends November 30th. So make sure to get signed up before then. If you want to save about $70, tell your friends if they're interested. It's so fun having groups of friends in there, resetting together, family members. Let's grow this. Let's create this awesome community. And yeah, you can find more information at mindfulbelly.com backslash 21 day reset. And lastly, just want to share with you about this special that's happening. I'm offering two week coaching programs. So along with my 90 day program and my six month program, but if you just need a quick jump start, if you're like, Ellie, I just need you to tell me, you know, what I should be eating and let's create a plan and get back on your goals with your fitness. If you're interested in meditation, if you're having issues with stress and mindful eating, 
we will be, we will tackle a lot of that in two weeks and just give you momentum to get going again. So I know this is, it can be hard during the holidays to stay in momentum. So this can be super helpful. Two weeks with me, three sessions, and we will get you on track so that come January 1st, you're not just trying to play catch up, getting back where you were before Thanksgiving. You you are so much further along, feeling really good and launching from a really powerful place. So feel free to reach out. You can set up a strategy session with me at calendly.com backslash mindful belly. All right. With that, let's go to the show. Hi, Gabrielle. How are you? I'm so good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited that you're doing this with me. I think this is going to be such a powerful episode. Same. I'm so grateful you asked me to be a part of this and just even how we connected has been so cool. So I'm really honored to be here. Yes. Well, so to begin, um, if you could just tell the audience who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I'm Gabrielle. Um, I'm an Enneagram 9 for those of you who know about the Enneagram already. Um, and I'm an Enneagram life coach for the healing woman. That's usually who I tend to work with. And basically what I mean by that is I help women who maybe are going through a healing journey in their life, whatever that looks like for them, just really come home to themselves, understand why they think, feel, and behave the way they do, and just help them come to this place of becoming aware and being super present in their life, and then help them transform, um, get to the, where they want to go, feel happier, feel more balanced. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. I, I help them through the lens of their Enneagram type, basically. Beautiful. And so for people who don't even know what Enneagrams are, can you explain what that is? Yeah. So the Enneagram is not new, but the Enneagram of personalities is what we know it to be. Um, so you've probably seen Instagram memes or something like that. So basically the Enneagram of personalities is, is a system that helps us better understand our internal world. So why we think, feel, and act the way we do. Um, cause a lot of the time, right. Well, a lot, a lot of our lives, we can go through it. We'll act a certain way or present ourselves a certain way on the outside, but inside there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more going on. So it just helps us become aware to that. Um, it helps us become aware to our cycles that we get ourselves stuck in. Um, and it helps us be able to get out of them quicker. And then, I mean, there's a whole slew of things that Enneagram does, but basically it shows us there's nine types in the Enneagram of personalities. And it shows us nine different ways that humanity has fallen asleep to their true self and where they've gotten stuck in like an autopilot. It helps um, us be able to become aware to those heal and then choose differently for ourselves. Um, and also too, it gives us a really awesome common language to be able to really understand ourselves and each other in a way deeper way, um, which then helps us be able to extend compassion to each other, communicate more effectively. But because first and foremost, we have a self-knowledge, which enables us to really cultivate like presence and awareness and peace in our lives and we can do our own transformational work um, to integrate into the most whole and authentic versions of our of ourselves. Yes, 
And thank deep. you. For that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so excited to go to go deeper in this. And but to begin, I guess, how did you even get involved in Enneagram? Yeah. So I learned about the Enneagram through a podcast, actually. I heard just like how we're sitting here, I heard someone interviewing um, an Enneagram coach. And um, as soon as she started talking about it, I she did an overview of all the types and I was just instantly like attacked, like attracted to it. I was like, I need to know this. This feels really life-changing. This feels transformational. And so I heard her on a podcast and I, she had like a free quiz or something. So I didn't know anything at that point. I didn't know what to, what quizzes were or what to read or anything. So I just took her quiz and, um, I got a type, I got a type nine actually on the first quiz that I took, which is um, not you, like people don't, it's not always common that you're going to score your dominant type as your, as your type on a quiz. Um, So anyways, (laughs) I took her quiz and then I didn't think I was that type though. I was like, no, that's not me at all. Like that doesn't sound like me at all. And so I just went on a seven month journey of like exploring. So I read everything I could get my hands on. I listened to podcasts. I actually hired a coach and went through a, a training to be able to understand what my type was. And it turns out that type that I scored on that first quiz, that was my type. (laughs) And why I had such an adverse reaction to it, because one, I was like unaware of all of these things. So I think it was really pressing on something that I deeper in me that I was like, Ooh, I feel really seen and known in this. And that's yucky. Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to look like that. Um, So that's how I came to know about the Enneagram. And I just, I instantly knew I wanted to work with the Enneagram. But at that time I was in the fitness industry. I was personal training. Um, I was a postpartum fitness specialist. And so I just, um, I don't know, my focus was there, but deep down I knew, I almost actually signed up to be an Enneagram coach back in 2017. Like I almost did. And it just, I don't know, I just, listen to other people around me and I didn't trust my gut. And I just was like, okay, I'll just like stick with fitness. Well, long story short, we moved to Texas. I, um, broke my leg. (laughs) And so I didn't have fitness anymore. I couldn't train. I couldn't like, I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. And so fitness kind of, I don't know. I had a second to like be still and be like, what do I, what am I doing? Like, what do I actually want to do in my life? And I had known about the Enneagram all this time. That's when my journey with my own inner work really took off. And the Enneagram was such a huge part of that. Um, and about a year, about almost a year after I broke my leg is when I became certified to be an Enneagram coach. And I finally trusted my gut and went with it. And, um, it was, it's honestly just been such a, um, the best thing for my life. It's truly like, this is, this is my purpose that I had been denying all along and trying to avoid because it was super scary. And here we are. (laughs) Yes. And what have you seen it do for your life? Like, so seeing yourself like before versus now, like how, how has it changed you? Yeah, that is a good question. And that is a loaded question. So I'll try to keep it. it (laughs) So, I mean, first of all, I wouldn't be in this career if I didn't, if I hadn't done my own work with the Enneagram, like I wouldn't be 
running a business. Like for me, I, I never wanted to run a business. I was so scared of that. I didn't, so I wouldn't be in this career right now if it wasn't for my own inner work with the Enneagram. And honestly, I don't think my husband and I would be where we're at um, without working with the Enneagram, um, knowing our types, be, being able to heal through some really hard things and do it at a way deeper level because of the Enneagram, because of knowing each other's core motivations and these internal drives that drive us. So that's just, those are two things, but personally for me, oh man, I like complete 180 of a person. Like, even if I look through my Instagram and I go back and see photos of me, like I visibly look different from then to now. And it has opened up a, like, a, like my mindset, it expanded my mindset into believing who I was and what I'm capable of. And um, for the Enneagram nines <laughs> who are out there, you'll get this, but I have, we have a really, really, um, everything we do is to avoid conflict in our lives. Like everything we do is to avoid conflict. So for most of her, all of my life, I did not assert myself. I didn't show up fully because for me, I felt afraid if I show up with my opinions and my beliefs and my thoughts, if I assert myself in this way, um, I'm going to lose connection with these people. And so I was like a shell of myself my whole life because I, I didn't show up as myself. And now knowing the Enneagram and doing my own inner work in that way, um, it's just, it's helped me instill beliefs and come home to myself of like, no, you're allowed to assert your opinions. You're allowed to, people actually will respect you more when you show up as your full self and, and stop shying away because you're afraid of conflict and you don't want to step on anyone's toes. And, you know, there's a lot more to it, but I mean, it's honest. Like I'm a freaking whole new person because of learning <laughs> about it. So <laughs> it's incredible. It's done a lot for my life. And, um, yeah, my healing journey. Yes. Oh, thank you. And for people who have still like have very new to Enneagrams, how do you like get started? Yeah. So knowing what I know now, <laughs> I would, I always recommend reading about the types. So um, like even before you take a quiz, like I would say taking a quiz is not my first go-to response because the Enneagram is all about our internal motivations rather than our external behaviors. And a quiz can only assess that so far. Also, we as humans, we're most likely like asleep and unconscious to a lot of our actual habits. <laughs> and we want to, you know, we, we answer questions in, of what we hope to be or what we think we are. And so there's just a lot of room for error there. So I always recommend reading about the types. So um, the Enneagram Institute online is a great place to start. Um, a really simple book that I always recommend is The Road Back to You um, by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Morgan Cron. Um, those are reading about the types because once you read about the types, you'll start to see yourself in maybe a type or a couple types. And then that helps you narrow it down to what types you aren't and then really hone in on the ones you are and start to really do some more self-exploration from there. Um, and then I would also say, I mean, working with a, an expert, working with an Enneagram certified expert or coach 
um, because we can help you like hear what you're actually saying and help you and mirror back and reflect back and kind of dig deeper and get into those root things rather than maybe how you're acting outwardly. Um, so that would be my, my suggestions in finding your type. Um, because I mean, I do typing sessions and out of all the typing Enneagram typing sessions I've done, maybe two or three, their top scoring type has actually been their dominant type. So that's saying something because you could potentially be your, like if, if uh, you take a quiz and it ranks, like this might be your top, this might be your second, this might be your third of like what your dominant type could be. Um, yeah, it's most of the time, it's not actually your top scoring type. So wow. fun fact. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting and good to know. So you're not just depending on some like online quiz. Yeah. And it can be a lot of like, it can cause a lot of doubt. It can be really like second guessing to people. So Enneagram typing sessions, at least what I offer is a good way to just be like, skip that. Let's just skip that. And let's just like get to the type that you are because knowing your type is just the first piece. Knowing your type actually allows you to then get into the work that the Enneagram offers. So let's just skip that and get into the work. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, if it's okay with you, can we go through the different Enneagram types and what that, what they mean, like personality traits, how people perceive the world differently, mm -hmm. where things might be coming from? Yeah. So I'll just do a quick overview of each type because, um, and I'm, so what these are called, what I'm going to explain to you are the core motivations of each type. So this is the meat and potatoes of how you know if you're this type. Um, so basically the core motivations are, there's a core fear that each type has that they, they don't want to feel. So they're running away from their core fear and they're running towards their core desire. And their core desire is the thing that if they have this, then they'll be okay. Um, also there's a core weakness and usually they're, what we're doing is this is the cycle that we're getting ourselves stuck in we're using our core weakness to try to get our core fear, or sorry, we're using our core weakness to try to get our core desire. But usually what's happening is we're inviting our core fear right back in. So you can see how we'd get stuck on this hamster wheel when we could, we need to, this is what I help people do is let's step off the hamster wheel. <laughs> so here's, okay, a little rundown. I'm gonna start with type eight. So the core fear of a type eight is being weak, powerless, controlled, or being seen as vulnerable. Their core desire is to protect themselves and those that are in their inner circle. And the core weakness of a type eight is lust for intensity. So they're constantly desiring control and power, and they'll push through to get what they want. Um, and so that's usually what's happening is they feel like to protect themselves, they, they need to use that core weakness of like, I need to be intense and strong and powerful so that I'm not seen as weak and powerless, which is their core fear. Do you see how that cycle just happened? Yes. Yes. You so that's, you, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Is it, can you give an example of like a behavior, like a realistic behavior someone might be exuding um, with that personality type? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the core fear is um, they want to protect themselves from betrayal. So like, let's say you're in a relationship or a friendship and someone like whoever you're in type eight is in relationship with someone else. And they feel maybe even at the threat of their friend, like turning on them or betraying them or, you know, something like that. What they'll tend to do is they'll tend to use their core weakness, which is like this this strength or this intimidation or this like power aggression. Um, so maybe they'll just cut them out of their lives immediately so that their core fear isn't, so they don't have to feel their core fear, which is, um, my, my friend sees me in this really vulnerable state. They must think I'm weak. Therefore they, then I am weak is what the type eight believes. And so that can kind of be a, a behavior that they might do um, to not feel their core fear. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. So they're just always trying to protect themselves from being betrayed or from feeling their core fears. Um, here's the thing though. Each type also has a core longing, which is think about it as the message that you have always wanted to hear, but you've never felt like you fully received it. So the core longing of a type eight is they want to hear the message. You will not be betrayed. Like, and if they actually believed this, they would be free of that personality structure of that hamster wheel that they've been stuck on for so long. So this is the work that in each type, right? It's so hard because especially for type eights, they don't want to be seen as vulnerable. So getting them into that place of like vulnerability strength, and like getting into this place of working with them. I mean, each type has their challenges with their own inner work. But um, so yeah, that's that's what's happening on the the underneath of a type eight. <laughs> just so good to know. It almost brings tears to my eyes, like just knowing someone's core longing. And I feel like that's why the Instagram, like there's so much empathy when you can actually see like, oh, this person is just like so fearful that they're going to be betrayed. And like instantly yes. if they were acting out at you. It's like, you can have, you can open your heart to that. Yes, totally. That is exactly the point. And kind of what I said earlier about having compassion for yourself because you understand this part. And then, like you just said, having compassion for others and extending that to others because, right, like I said, a lot of the time our inward feelings and our outward behaviors don't match up. They're not lining up. And so someone who has a fear of being betrayed in their relationships, it's like, of course, they're going to react like that. Of course, they're going to react aggressively because they're trying to protect themselves. And the language of protect themselves is unique to eights, but I want to say we're all trying to protect ourselves from something, right? Like we are all, and you'll see this, we're all trying to protect ourselves from something, but the, the language of protecting yourself from betrayal is very unique to the type eight, but you, I mean, you nailed it. Like you, <laughs> like it's, that is so true because we can extend compassion to why people would act a certain way. And we're like, oh, you're just like, like your inner child is just so afraid right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure you probably see happening a lot with your clients too, of um, with women that you work with or people that you work with of, you know, they've been hiding behind this addiction or this compulsive habit or, and it's, a, it's something that they learn to try to gain control or protect themselves, right? A hundred percent. Yes. That's why I'm so excited to talk about this because it's such a, it's an, it's another like, yeah, tool to be able to really spot these things and, and understand ourselves. And so we can stop that compulsion. 
because you can just have that compassion for yourself. Yes. Yes. I love it. And here's (laughs) the thing, like half of, half of the healing is just awareness. Yes. So half of just even like, even just hearing these words and for those listening, you know, if you hear something where you feel really like seen or known or exposed, I just want to encourage you to look further into it. I'm not saying, I'm not sitting here to say, yeah, that's your type, but it might be. And so really just explore that. If you feel um, any ego popping up, if you feel any like resistance to it, lean into it and explore it because it might be your type and it might give you the freedom that you're actually looking for. So just want to give that heads up, but all right, let's move on to the type nine. So their core fear is being in conflict, feeling overlooked and feeling disconnection. Um, Their core desire is to have inner harmony and peace of mind. And their core weakness is sloth. And so it's, um, it's interesting. It's not a physical laziness, though it could present that way. A lot of the time, it's more of an emotional inner laziness. Um, So the word I think inertia actually depicts it better. So how the sloth though is presenting is that they don't want life to get them. So they, they numb out, they fall asleep. And what they do, and this is unique to nines, is they go into their inner sanctum. So it's this little place in the center of their being where no one can get them from the outside. And also their own inner stuff can't get them there. So it's almost like they're pushing away the outside and they're pushing away the inside and they fall asleep to their entire life to maintain this sense of peace. But I, I air quote peace because it's not peace. What that is, is numbness. It's, they desire peace. That's their core desire is to have peace, but they, they fake themselves. They fake themselves out into believing that that's peace when actually that's just like, you just become like a shell of yourself. You become a a blob. Like you don't, you're not actually being yourself. So that's the cycle that they're doing and their core longing. The the message that a type nine's heart wants to hear is your voice and your presence matters. So a type nine grew up believing that it wasn't okay to assert themselves. And so they just started to believe, well, my voice and my presence in this world doesn't matter. So I'm just going to, I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to avoid conflict and I'm going to keep the peace, (laughs) which I mean, I'm sure you probably can relate to this at some level too, even if you're not a nine, but like how many times have we just like done things to keep the peace? And isn't that exhausting? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So that's what's happening within the type nines inner world. Um, do, should I go through like a behavior of each? I would love type? that. Yeah, that would be okay. Really okay. So hmm, let's see. Behavior for a type nine. So basically, I mean, I can give an example of my own life because I am a type nine. But um, so let's talk about friendships, for example. So within friendships, I had struggled with friendships as an adult for a while because I continuously felt like my um, friendships weren't reciprocal. Like I felt like I was so caring and I would ask questions and I really wanted to get to know these people. And I genuinely do and, and did. And I just felt like whenever I'd meet up with these certain friends, they would just take and take and take and they wouldn't reciprocate that back. While that is partially true, what I've come to realize is that 
also, I was not giving any of myself. I was not showing up with my voice and my presence. I almost took myself out of the equation and I just became about this person. So it, it, in a way, I can't blame them for not asking me how I'm doing or reaching out because I never really offered that information. I didn't believe that I mattered in that way. And that's why I wasn't doing it, which is sad. And I had to grieve that, but also that's why I continued to feel that way in friendships. And partially it was something that I had to own that I wasn't doing. So, so can you see how that, that cycle was playing out? And yeah, do you resonate with that? Totally. So yes, yeah. I, I'm curious if, I don't know my dominant type yet. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm debating between three, seven, nine. Okay. Um, so this, yeah, that resonates so much. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's real. And I think at some level, right. The whole point of the Enneagram is integration and wholeness. And so, yes, you want to learn about your personality structure to do the work there. That's the work that needs to be undone, unlearned. Um, but also if you're just always in your little bubble, of nine land or three land, it's still a prison. And so the whole point of the Enneagram is integration and wholeness. And so at some level we can see ourselves in all the types, but it, it but I will preface and say it is important to know your dominant type because that's usually where the work needs to be done. <laughs> okay. And are we, real quick, are we born with an Enneagram type or is it is it given through trauma in our childhood or like how does that happen? That is debated. So what I tend to believe is it's both. <laughs> so I believe that we are in, we are born into this world with a certain bent towards, um, like, I don't know how to say it. I, I just, I believe that we're born with a certain nature and a certain essence. And I think through life circumstances, those things are confirmed back to us. Mm -hmm. So then we're constantly reacting out of our essence or more accurately, we're putting on a mask uh, that we're more bent towards, which is our personality. Our personality isn't us. The mask that we put on is what our personality is. And so I think we're bent towards a certain way that we put on a certain mask and then our life circumstances, our traumas, our childhood wounding messages, all those things confirm back to us. And then we just get deeper ingrained into that thought process, belief, um, like getting in our own way in that way. So that's what I believe, but I think it's, I think it's debated, but I think like, I think it's both. <laughs> yes. That makes so much sense to have like a predisposition when you're born and then that you basically are attracting that to yourself. Exactly. That's yeah. To me, just knowing what I know from my own inner work also with like just shadow work and how everything's like a mirror to like, like the whole point I think is like to become our most whole selves. And so we're brought with tests and things are there to like reflect back to us where we need more healing and where, you know, and so I, I don't know, that's just my, my take on it. But um, I think different Enneagram experts have different beliefs in that, so it's, it's cool to explore for yourself and see what you believe. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So type ones, type ones have a core fear of being wrong or bad. So their core desire, what they're running towards is they want to have integrity. They want to be good and they want to be accurate. Um, the core weakness 
is actually interesting. They can get in this anger, resentment, frustration loop. So what's happening is because they don't want to be wrong or bad, they're constantly repressing their anger um, because they feel like anger is wrong. Anger is bad. So they are never actually allowing that anger to surface and they're never actually allowing themselves to move through that anger to get to the actual root emotion that's going on underneath the anger. So what's happening is the anger is still there. It's just squeaking out sideways as resentment, um, continuously feeling frustrated um, at themselves mainly, but also if other people aren't at their standards of what they think should be um, right and good. Um, and also being critical, that can be another way that that anger squeaks out. So the core longing of a type one is they want to hear the message. You are good. Like you just are, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to go out and do something to be seen as good. Like you just are good. And they just, it's such a block for them. They, a lot of the times they don't believe that. And so that's, what's continuously driving them in that hamster wheel. <laughs> so let's see a, a behavior or a situation for a type one. So, oh, I mean, type ones are very ideal. <laughs> they, they have a lot of idealistic thoughts. And so what can be happening is they believe something should be done a certain way. And so if someone isn't doing it that way, they can they can act out in that uh, core weakness, which is being um, you know critical or frustrated um, because they believe it should be done a certain way. And honestly, a lot of the time, the type one's inner critic is the loudest of all the types. Each type kind of has an inner critic at some level, but the type one's inner critic is actually a very defining factor for them. And it's constantly berating them in their own mind, in their own body. You should have done this better you know, you should be good at this. Why aren't you? And there's a lot of shooting all over themselves happening. Um, so a lot of the time, even if someone else isn't meeting their standards, what they tend to do is they tend to internalize that. They make it like, oh, I'm, I, what am I not doing that they're not getting this? Or what am I not doing that they're not meeting the standard? And so they put it on themselves to be better. Um, so they just carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. And they think it's, they tend to believe it's up to them to fix it all. So that can be a lot of what's driving their outward behavior. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. So um, if you notice, I started with eight. So I did eight, nine, and one. So um, they're actually in the gut triad. So it, within the Enneagram, there's something called the centers of intelligence. Um, and we'll kind of get into that in a bit, but I wanted to kind of showcase that because there's, three pairings of three types. So eight, nine, and one are in the, in the gut triad or the body center. Um, and basically um, we'll get into it, but it, it helps you understand um, there's a, a big common um, emotional struggle within each of those centers. So I just, I like to make that note because a lot of people are like, why didn't you start with one? And why did you start with eight? That doesn't make any sense. So I, that's kind of why. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're getting into type two. So type twos, threes, and fours are in the heart triad. So those are the next grouping I'm going to go through. So type two's core fear is being rejected um, or feeling indispensable or being, or feeling that they're unworthy of love. 
their core desire is to be appreciated, loved, and wanted. And their core weakness is pride. So how pride works for a type two is that they tend to deny their own needs and um, their own emotions. And they are like, no, 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 I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. I don't, I don't need anything. I'm good. So that can be a pride thing because we all need things. We all have emotions. And so what, what they tend to do through that is they tend to invite their core fear right back in where they end up feeling rejected because no one's really asking them what they need or what they want because they're constantly denying that they have needs and wants. So, and it's not like a type two doesn't know what they need and want. They, they know, they just feel like I'm going to be a burden if I put this on you. So their core longing, the message they, their heart longs to hear is you are loved and wanted. And I would add just because you're you, like you're loved and wanted because you are you, not because of what you give to others. So a behavior or an outward action um, am I explaining those well, by the way, like, is yeah. that kind of, okay. Okay. Um, so I mean, kind of what I just said, I think a behavior would be like, they're constantly there for other people. Twos are twos have these feeling antennas so they can walk into a room and they can know exactly what everyone needs and exactly what everyone's feeling. So a lot of the time, like, let's think about this situation. They could walk into a social gathering. And they know that this person needs to talk and they know this person needs help with this and they know this and this and this. And so they're doing it, but inside they, they tend to feel like a frustration of like, why does no one care about me the way I care about them? Why does no one love me the way that I love them? And so there's constantly this like deficit feeling within them of like, why aren't these people loving me? And why do I love them so much? Also where the pride can kick in is, well, I know what you want. So why don't you know what I want? Mm -hmm. And that can get them stuck in their relationships a lot because they feel like, well, I intuitively know what you want. So why can't you give that back to me? That feels loving to me. But what twos need to understand is that that's their superpower. And not everyone has that. Not everyone can intuitively know those things. And so that, that's their growth work. They need to start expressing their needs and expressing their emotions and expressing where they need help. Um, so that's kind of how, what's uh, happening underneath the surface for twos. <laughs> um, okay, so type threes. So their core fear is being exposed or thought of as incompetent or being seen as unsuccessful. Their core desire is to be admired to be successful and to be valuable for who they are. Their core weakness is deceit. So what's happening is um, type threes are really chameleon-like. So let's say you, the type three would show up at a work setting. They kind of put on this persona and then they show up at the gym setting and then they show up as this persona. And so they're kind of morphing into whoever they need to be to make sure that other people see them as successful and, and valuable. Um, so they deceive themselves by, they believe, oh, I'm this person. And really the question, the, the huge question for a type three is who am I? Because they're constantly believing that they are the personas that they exude to others. And so there's this 
emptiness almost if they look inside to be like when all of that's gone who actually is left like who actually am I um which is super deep and super sad my husband's a three and he that's a lot of we've had a lot of conversations around that it's a, it's a lot of grieving too because you've gone the threes kind of you know if you're not doing this work until later in your life you've gone through your whole life like chasing to make sure people are being are seeing you in a certain way and really you've been like abandoning yourself the whole time your true self and not knowing who you are so the core longing is that a type three's heart longs to hear is you are loved and valuable for simply being yourself that's it you don't have to be anyone or you don't have to have those high achievements and you know, all those are something you want and you love that, but that doesn't make you who you are. And that doesn't make you valuable and, and um, successful. So um, let's see a type three situation where how that could be presenting. Um, <laughs> well, I just, this comes to mind and I think of a funny meme, but it's actually pretty accurate where um, there's a meme where it's, um, Parks and Rec, Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec. <laughs> There's a, a meme of, of his faces and his faces are so funny. And the one part says like, it's like um, their first day at a new job. And then it's like the type three says, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I'm doing a really good job. So <laughs> I know exactly. So, <laughs> so a lot of the time, um, threes can get into burnout really quickly, uh, or I guess not quickly, actually scratch that they can get burnt out, but it's not happening quickly because what they're constantly doing is they're just, uh, they're saying yes to all these things that could make them feel successful. But the deeper question is, is do you want to do this? And that's been a good distinction question for my husband is I can do this. Threes can do anything. They're like, I can do this and I would be so good at it but do you want to do it? That's the deciding question. So I know you said you're kind of like wondering if you're a three, how does that resonate even compared to the nine that we talked about? It definitely resonates. But now that you, then you talked about the two and now I'm like, oh, maybe I'm a, like, I'm just confused. I'm resonating with a lot of these. And so, yeah. And that's I'm normal. That's very normal. And that's super common. Um, and like I said in the beginning, just just explore it, just go deeper. And these, this is the meat and potatoes of like how you know a type, how you know your type is your type. So um, just explore it. But and, and it might be a little confusing, but that's what I'm here for. That's what professionals are here for. <laughs> that's what yes. the folks are here for. So that, and I just, I wanna, I wanna highlight what you just said to the listeners because it is so common. Like it is common. I've had people who come to me for typing sessions and they're like, I thought I was a t this certain type for years. And now I'm having this like crisis mode of like, wait, I don't actually think that's my type. So it is super common to mistype. So just know that it's an exploration journey. <laughs> okay, so type four, this is the last type in the heart triad. So their core fear is feeling flawed, feeling insignificant or feeling um, emotionally cut off. Um, or feeling like mundane, just like plain and mundane. Um, they fear that actually. Their core desire, they want to be seen and they want to feel unique and authentic. 
And then the core weakness is envy. So how envy is happening for a type four is because they, they inherently feel like something's missing from them. And they can look around at everyone around them and they think like that person has what I like, what I want, but why do I not have that? So what's missing from me? So they, this envy piece comes up where they feel like they're flawed and they can compare themselves to others. Um, and fours go about that in different ways. Um, like there's different subtypes of all the Enneagram types. So it's kind of happening in a different way. That's a whole other podcast in and of itself. But so the core longing of a type four is they, um, they want to hear you are seen and loved for exactly who you are because they're, they're constantly on this search for their significant identity. And so that can be really hard for them and they can live a lot in their pain. Um, so I guess an outward behavior for a type four is because of all this stuff happening on the inside, type fours want to be, want to feel unique and special. So a lot of the times fours will go out and they'll, you know, they'll cut their hair in a really bold way, or they'll color it in a bold way, or, they, or, or they'll express themselves through like art or their clothes. And all of it is trying to be unique when in reality, they already are unique. They just don't believe it. And they feel like if I do these things, then I'll be seen as unique, which will feel, fuel their core desire. But really it's just inviting that core fear right back in because they're constantly seeing, well, that person does it this way. Oh, what's wrong with me? I must be missing something. So it's just this constant search for their identity. And a lot of the times fours as kids um, didn't see themselves in their parents or in their caretakers. So they constantly felt this gap of like, well, I don't relate to that. I don't resonate with that. I don't see myself in how they're acting. So uh, like what's wrong with me and they didn't see, so does that make sense like they didn't see themselves in that mirrored in that so um and they tend to carry that with them for so long which is just like so sad because if they just need to look I mean all types need to but they just need to look inward and like remember like you are loved for exactly who you are you already are unique and special so so that wraps up the heart the heart triad. So the last triad is the mind triad or um, yeah, the mind center, sorry, the head center, the mind triad. So the type five's core fear is being thought of as ignorant, um, feeling invaded or having obligations put on them. Their core desire is um, they want to feel capable and competent. Their core weakness is um, Technically, the Enneagram word for it is avarice, but it's, it's like a stinginess. Um, it's like a, a hoarding of resources. So what a type five is doing is they want to feel capable and competent. So what they'll do is they feel like they lack inner resources or they feel like they lack inner energy or they feel like they don't know enough yet. And so they tend to withdraw from people. They tend to withdraw from life and they start to minimize their needs so that people will kind of like leave them alone. And um, they will like just like fives are the kind of people that are just like locked in their room and studying and reading and learning for hours and hours and hours because they feel like their mind is the safest place. Um, so 
they, their core longing though, is they want to know, I think a couple of things, they want to know that their needs are not a problem. And they also want to know that they already know enough. Like they already know enough. So a lot of the time fives will recluse and withdraw because they don't feel like they know enough. And so they're outwardly, they're one of the behaviors that they could do is they're never actually like taking action in their life. They're never actually doing anything because they feel like, oh, I need to know more in order to do this, which just sends them down the spiral of, oh, well, I need to know more about this topic and this topic and this topic and this topic. And then they never, they're always like preparing to live and they're not just like going out there and living. Um, um, and also another key thing for a type five is that they, they have the lowest amount of ener energy reserves out of any Enneagram type. So think about like an iPhone, like if you were to plug in an iPhone and you know how the battery, like sometimes the battery goes bad after a couple years and like it only ever really charges to like 50%. That's kind of like the energy reserve of an Enneagram five. Like you kind of plug them in and they only ever really get to 50%. Like they never really have the energy capacity that other people have. So that can cause them to withdraw even more from people and activities and things like that because they don't want to feel depleted. They don't, they like that threat of feeling invaded or depleted is really hard for them. So it's interesting. A lot of fives that I know actually had um, a parent who was like either a type seven or a type eight where they have like a lot of energy and they're just like, go, go, go. And they're like action oriented and they invaded their child who was a type five and a type five just learned to like put up those walls, not even boundaries. They put up walls to be like, no, 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 you're not going to invade my energy right now. I can't commit to that. So that's, that can be an outward behavior that is <laughs> a five would really resonate with, I think. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do you know any people like that? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I I like can't. I know I do. I just like yeah. no one's popping in my mind right now. I ask because fives are usually the people that are like I don't like want to be typed a certain thing. Like they're the people that are out there, but they're not into the enneagram. <laughs> they don't want. <laughs> So a lot of the, like, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't really know fives. I'm like, they're there. They're just not typing themselves because they don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> they're just more, they're just, yeah, they're like, nah, that's not for me. So, okay. Type six. So their core fear is fear itself. Like they fear being without guidance. They fear um, feeling unsupported or even being blamed. They fear that. So their core desire is to have security, support, and guidance. And their core weakness is anxiety. So they're constantly like on the lookout for threats or they're thinking in worst case scenarios. And they're constantly looking into like, when they're thinking in those worst case scenarios, they're thinking, okay, I gotta be prepared in case this thing happens. And so they're expending a lot of energy in the what ifs and preparing for these situations that aren't even reality. And what they're doing is inviting that core fear right back into their lives. Like then they're just thinking about all these things that drive fear and anxiety <laughs> in their lives. 
Um, so that can be the hamster wheel that they can get themselves on. And the core longing, um, the six their heart wants to hear is you are safe and secure. And a huge thing for a six is projection. So that's their defense mechanism. So that could be an outward behavior of where they're projecting their like thoughts and feelings and fears onto other people so that they don't have to feel blamed, one. And two, um, how do I wanna say this? Um, oh shoot, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay. Um, they don't wanna yeah. feel blamed? Yeah, they don't wanna feel blamed, but um, they're projecting because, oh, I remember this. They're projecting onto other people because they don't trust themselves. So a six in their childhood somewhere picked up the belief that um, it's not okay to trust yourself. And so they're, the, what's unique to a six, kind of like the one with the inner critic and the nine with the inner sanctum, what's unique to the six is called their inner committee. So what they're doing is they're constantly like, it's like in their mind. So it's like, okay, what did my dad say about this? What did my mom say about this? What did this self-help book say about this? And they're constantly checking in with this internal committee to like make a decision for themselves. And they're never really asking their own inner guidance to like make the decision. They're always like, like it's through everyone else around them, but in their minds, if that makes sense. But it's a way that they can project it out of themselves and onto others in case something goes wrong. Well, this person said this and it, it wasn't me, but they also don't believe that they can trust themselves. That feels really scary to them. So that can kind of be guiding some outward behaviors for sixes. And then lastly, type seven, their core fear is being bored, limited, trapped in emotional pain, or if you heard the term FOMO, <laughs> that pretty much describes the type seven. They have a fear of missing out. So their core desire though, is to feel satisfied and content. Um, their core weakness is actually gluttony, but it's not just like in food, like uh, when you hear of the term being gluttonous that you hear, you think of food, but actually it's, it, it's more of a, a broader sense of that. They feel like whatever it is, it's never enough. So they constantly want to fill themselves up with experience, experiences and adventures and exciting stimulation of whatever that means to them because they think that that next thing will fill them up. That next thing will make me feel happy and satisfied, which I have a really, um, how, so sevens can be really um, self-referencing, like sevens can be a lot about themselves, but I actually have a really deep compassion for sevens. Um, and this is all, why I know this is because of the Enneagram. Um, because, you know, the Enneagram also teaches us about childhood and childhood wounds and in how we related to our parents. It's really fascinating, but a type seven never felt nurtured enough from the nurturing um, caretaker. And so they wanted more, but they never received it. So they learned to go out on their own and try to fill themselves up. And it was because of, they felt like it just wasn't enough for them. And that's not to say anything to parents or anything like that, but it's just like, that's, that's what they felt inside. And so um, I just feel like so sad for them. And I feel like it's so sad because they, they think, well, I'm the only one that I can trust to do this for me. So they, they can have a hard time in relationships in that way. 
um, and just, you know, being so self-referencing can be a turnoff to people too. So that can kind of be what's happening on the outside, but on the inside, there's a deeper reason why that's happening. And their core longing um, is they want to hear the message like, you will be taken care of. I got you. I will take care of you. I will support you. I'll be there for you. Um, and they believe that they're the only ones that can take care of themselves. So that's kind of how that'll play out for a type seven. So yeah, that was the very long-winded types. <laughs> no, that was so good. I feel like enough to for people to have like a really good idea of what each type is and how they can start exploring that for sure. Yeah. And like I said, you know, knowing your type is just the beginning, but also in what we talked about, we went pretty deep in, in each type. And so, um, I think it's, I, I think that's half the healing of just like, oh my gosh, I've felt this way my whole life. And I didn't know why, or I didn't have words, or I didn't have the language to explain it. And I think that's like, it just takes a weight off of people's shoulders. At least it did for me. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if you do resonate with different types, like, so how do you heal? Like if you resonate, I guess if you feel like you've got different elements of those, how do you explore and like kind of address all of those things versus just focusing on the dominant type? Yeah. So I think that's, that's a good question. I think it leads to a really in-depth answer that I'm going to try to <laughs> make it more broad and overview. So there are things within the Enneagram called your integration and disintegration lines there. It's um, how, like whatever your dominant type is, um, there's two lines going out of that dominant type to two other types. And so it shows one of the lines shows where you disintegrate. So where, what you can look like when you're in a season of stress. And then the other line shows where, what you look like when you're integrating. So qualities and characteristics you take on when you're in growth and you're flourishing. So, um, so that's one section of it. The other section of it, there's something called wings, which are the types to the exact right and left of your dominant type. Those are, those types have a lot of, excuse me, influence on your dominant type. Um, and why I'm saying all this is because there's a lot of elements within the Enneagram teaching and education that showcase um, what types you're actually connected to through those things. So for example, like I'm a nine. So in disintegration, I go towards type six. So that means I use the unhealthy qualities of a type six. In integration, I use the healthy, the high side of a type three. So it shows me why I might relate to those types. Like for the longest time, I thought I was a six. And it was because I was in a state of chronic stress and I was acting like a six. But that's not what's been the most true thing for most of my life. It was just when I was in stress. So to answer your question, I think knowing your dominant type is the first place to start because then you'll start to connect the dots. Oh, I relate to this type because this is where I've been in stress my whole life. And this is why I relate. Oh, I have this wing. No wonder I feel I relate so strongly to that because I, it influences a lot of how I'm acting in my dominant type. And that's just something we go, I go through with all my clients and coaching and teaching them those things because it just brings a lot of clarity um, when you know that stuff. 
Yes. Okay. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And I guess for, for kind of diving deeper into like anxiety, shame, trauma, how does the Enneagram help with that or what can people do with it? that yeah that's such a great question so within the enneagram there is something like i said earlier the centers of intelligence and basically the centers of intelligence body heart and mind they teach us how we perceive the world and so we can begin to understand how the world works and how we work in the world and then also it helps us see where we're imbalanced so we have wherever our dominant type is that's whatever center that's in, that's our dominant center. But usually what's happening is we're overdoing it in that center and we're imbalanced in the other two centers. So I'll just give you like a quick little overview in terms of what that looks like. But basically the gut triad or the body center, they're common, um, which are comprised of types eight, nine, and one, their common emotional struggle is anger. So eights usually respond to the anger in a really intense manner. Nines are usually <laughs> unaware that they're even angry. They like, tend to say like, oh no, like I, they, they just almost avoided their anger because they think, they think it'll cause conflict. And ones repress their anger and they turn their anger more into like a self-inflicting anger. Um, so that they don't showcase it outwardly, but they have this belief that, you know, like I said earlier, that anger is wrong and bad. So in that sense, it's so enlightening because we can see what our, our most accessible emotional response is when we know our dominant type. So this just really helps us heal through that um, for the body triad. Same thing with the heart triad. Um, their um, common emotion is actually shame. So what's happening is they, um, how do I want to say this? So, well, their, their common desire is to find their significant identity and their common emotional response is shame. So what's happening is twos are trying to find their significant identity, usually through relationships. Threes are trying to find their significant identity through how successful and admirable they can come across as. And then fours are trying to find their significant identity through their pain. Like they're not allowing themselves to see the good parts of themselves. Um, and so they're constantly like in the depths of their pain, trying to find their significant identity. Um, and when it comes to, um, yeah, just like the shame part of it, they're all dealing with shame um, in, in a, in a different way, but it all has to do with their identity. Like, does that make sense? So it, those two are really tied into each other um, for twos, threes, and fours. And then for the mind triad, their common emotional struggle is fear. So fives feel like if they don't know enough to engage in the world, like that could evoke a lot of fear. Sixes, they identify it more as anxiety, I would say, but they're, they find the fear and anxiety in the worst case thinking, preparing for possible future threats, you know, feeling like they won't have support. And then sevens, they have a fear of being bored or trapped in emotional pain. And so 
they're just trying to, they're, they're focused on finding a sense of guidance and support and trying to cope with their anxiety by gaining more knowledge, more understanding, um, or maybe even, um, the next exciting thing that could help them. So, um, yeah, they're, so knowing what your, what your dominant type in helps you then know what center you're dominant in, which then helps you see what your most accessible emotional response would be and what, what your common desire would be to make you feel protected in some way. So thank you for going through that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think with trauma and stress, I think obviously it's so unique to each person. So I think when, when you know that work and you can do that work for yourself, that self insight, um, helps you bring a lot of consciousness around, Oh, this is why I felt this way my whole life. This is what happened in my childhood. This is why I started to believe what I did. And this is how it's carried with me my whole life and why I'm acting in this way. So I think just knowing that and doing that deeper work through that awareness is really helpful in if you're healing from something like a trauma or dealing with chronic stress in your life. Absolutely. I think this is going to be huge for people, especially listeners that are like have sugar addiction or, or the mm. eating tendencies that to be able to know, like, and have the language to see what might be driving that behavior. Yes, exactly. And like, it, it's so, it's so profound and you can be dealing with anything and just knowing yourself more, like that's the key, like knowing ourselves more, um, like becoming more conscious, we become purpose-filled and we become purposeful. And when we increase our self-knowledge, we can become more whole, authentic, effective, like beings, and we can feel more at peace. So I, I personally think like that, that self-knowledge bit is the key to like real growth in order to live a happier and more balanced life from all these highs and lows. We can actually like live in, in balance, which doesn't sound as sexy or exciting, but man, it's a lot better on our nervous system. <laughs> yes. I think this is so powerful, even for physical healing, how much of actual disease and everything is manifested because of internal stress and trauma and, and yeah. So being able to get that out and compassion for yourself and being able to reduce that mental stress is going to be so huge for health. Yes. I couldn't agree more. Oh. Yeah, I think about that, that fact too, of how much is, you know, we get diagnosed with something physical, like a health problem. And it's like, how much of that is just suppressed emotion that's just been stored in our bodies for so long and in our cells and man, how like, wow, if we just knew these things about ourselves, how much lighter would you feel? How much freer would you feel? And like, knowing that you are allowed to write each type of beliefs, like uh, at some level, like I'm not allowed to do this certain thing because if I do this certain thing, then X will happen. It's usually revolves around their core fear. And it's like, but man, like that's, what's keeping you stuck. That's what's keeping you in your own way of being able to actually feel the core desire that you want to feel. So, so real. Yes. Oh, well, you said, even when you mentioned like the the nine of like the shell of this yourself and pushing away 
fear from the outside and the the voice internally that like conflict internally and that just made me think of like people being prescribed anxiety medications it's just like literally are not dealing with anything here's some anxiety medications so you can numb out and not feel any of this I know I know it doesn't I don't really know how anxiety medication works but is it is it similar to a Tylenol where it's like it blocks a receptor in your body or your brain so that you don't feel that certain thing but it doesn't mean it's gone yeah I'm not I'm not sure how they work if that is if that's what it's doing either okay yeah I didn't know but yeah it's I mean when yeah exactly it's like it, it it's a quick fix. And here's the thing, this, this work isn't a quick fix. I, it's a lifestyle, like how you work with your clients for eating healthy and for eating to heal their body from the inside out. And, um, you know, even people who are addicts, like they're forever an addict, right? Like that doesn't, that doesn't just stop once you don't, once you stop the compulsive behaviors, it's still there and still within you. And so it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a life change. It's, um, it's a lifelong journey to this. And that's how I think about inner work too, is that this is a lifelong journey. These are things that I'm always going to be like, there's going to be this dance in, in my healing. And there's going to be times where I feel great. And then there's going to be times where I'm like, oh, I thought I healed from that. Yes. Yes. There's needs to be more attention paid to, to that part of me. And, but I think, I think where we as a society can get caught up in it is there's so much shame around that. There's so much um, like, yeah, just self shame, but also shame of like not letting people know those things about ourselves because we need to be, we want to be seen in a certain way. Every type has a certain self image that they want to be seen as. And all to be said, I just think that when we can let go of the shame and actually accept these parts of ourselves, that also helps us embody the freedom that we want to live in because we all have the human spectrum within us. We all do. We all have the most unhealthy aspects of our Enneagram type and the healthiest of our Enneagram type. And we can flow through them in a day, in an hour, you know? And it's like, this is where like, I, I, I want to, the women that I work with of just teaching them self-acceptance and self-compassion and there's no shoulds, there's no right or wrong. There's no, you have to, it's, it's just like coming home to yourself because you want to feel not the way you currently feel. <laughs> so, but in a, in a way that's not shame inducing because um, man, that can keep us stuck even longer. Totally. Yes. Oh, Gabrielle, this is so, it's been so awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Um, okay, I was just going to say, if you have any um, like resources that you recommend for people who, you mentioned some in the beginning, but anything else? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of good Enneagram books out there. You can go on Amazon and look at so many uh, Enneagram books. I mean, personally, if you're starting out, I always recommend um, going on the Enneagram Institute online and just like reading about the types Um, a great book that simplifies the system is the road back to you. Um, and then, I mean, some of my favorite authors, I love, um, Beatrice Chestnut. She talks about the subtypes, which is a great contribution to the Enneagram. Um, who else do I like? Suzanne Stabile is amazing. Um, yeah. And I mean, just, 
there's a lot of avenues that the Enneagram can take. So, I mean, Enneagram and relationships. Um, one of my friends, Gina Gomez, she wrote a book called The Enneagram and You. And um, that's a beautiful book of like how relationships, like how types and relationships are working out, if that's something that interests you. But I would just start simple, less is more. And then reading about it is the best way you're going to know. Um, I also recommend like going on YouTube and looking up Enneagram panels. So an Enneagram expert is um, uh, interviewing like a panel of type twos, type fours, whatever. Yeah. And you can hear what they're saying and you can really see yourself like, you know, that'd be a good way to really see yourself. And if you're discovering your type of like, oh my gosh, I feel that exact same way. And that's what I do. And that's how I act. And um, that's also a good way. And then, I mean, I do Enneagram coaching. So I, I take women through teaching them about the Enneagram, which a lot comes up about their lives and then really helping them practically implement, practically using the Enneagram for the transformation that they want in whatever avenue they're, they're going through and healing through. Um, so those would be my recommendations. Yes. Thank you. Where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Gabrielle Westbrook underscore. It's just my name. And then also um, my Enneagram coaching business is the Hope Healers. So um, my website is hopehealers.com. Um, there's, you can read about what, what I do with an Enneagram coaching. Um, you can read about what the Enneagram is on my website. You can contact me through there, but mainly I live on Instagram in terms of <laughs> really connecting with people in that way. So awesome. And random question that just came up. Does Enneagram have like compatibility? So like, like kind of like horoscopes, like are you more compatible with certain other Enneagrams or how is that, is that anything? No, actually that's, I love this question because I think it's a beautiful thing. No, any type can be with any type because what's happening is like basically within the Enneagram in your inner relationship with someone, it's like, you're like, you're how do I want to say this? It's basically like saying, teach me what it's like to be you. Mm. So we're all wearing glasses with different colored lenses and we're all looking at the world through our color. And it's, so it's like, teach me what it's like to look through your blue lens and I'll teach you what it's like to look through my purple lens. And that, it just gives you a language to be able to explain to someone Hey, this is, it's like, it's like the, the hidden stuff that we don't talk to. It's like, these are the things we can now start to, I call it over communicating because it's usually the things we keep hidden, but it's like what's manifesting our behavior. And so it's like, now we have a language to talk about that hidden stuff. And now we can, we can communicate more effectively. I can understand you more effectively. I can I can give you compassion when you're acting in a certain way and I don't understand why. Oh, it's it's because of this, right? So any type can go with any type. And I that's what I think is so beautiful because then we can just learn what that other person is going through and where they've been and who they are, so. Yes, oh, thank you for answering that. Yes, you're welcome. Awesome, well, thank you again for being on here and I will include your contact information in the show notes so people can connect with you. Perfect. Thanks, Ellie. I loved this. This was so fun. Yay. Thanks, Gabrielle.